Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Hey folks, Mike here. You're about to hear episode 100, our very first live show. Our opening cue didn't work out quite the way we'd hoped. There was a technical glitch, so <laughs> I'll say it now. Grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down the 100th episode of Dark Poutine. Chomp, chomp, chomp. Om nom. Hello. That made me a tiny bit afraid. <laughs> but the thing is, I enjoy a stranger in a clown costume in a white van. I have kinks, whatever. My name is Andrea Warner. I am part of the Vancouver Podcast Festival Organizing Committee. I'm also the co-host of Pop This Podcast. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I know, that was mostly for me. But we're also here to welcome to the stage, uh, not quite yet, I have three minutes of script I have to read. But, I know, but come on. We are here for Dark Poutine, its very first live show. Look, people are excited. I can't do anything about that. And I'm thrilled for you. Bear with me for three and a half more minutes. I'm very precise if you don't hold me up. We'd like to acknowledge that tonight's event is taking place on the unceded Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. This is the second annual Vancouver Podcast Festival, and it is presented by DOXA Documentary Film Festival. The festival, podcast festival specifically, is dedicated to highlighting the power and potential of podcasts and bringing together local creators with those on the national and international stage. We have many thank yous because it's a nonprofit and it takes a lot of people to put stuff like this on. So we are going to thank our premier partners, the Vancouver Public Library, SFU Woodwards, and CBC Podcasts. Our premier media partners are CBC Vancouver and the Georgia Strait. Our major partners are Creative BC, Eventive, Kelly and Kelly, and StoryHive. Thank you so much for all of their support tonight for this event. Two more big chances to clap in the next 15 seconds. We also want to thank The Real Theatre for having us again this year. We also want to thank our amazing team of volunteers who we could not do the festival without, so thank you very much. As a nonprofit, I get to ask you now for money. We'd like you to donate to us if you enjoy this. And actually, if you don't enjoy it, donate and we'll make it better. Uh, 
You can go to vanpodfest.ca slash donate. Uh, and also we have stuff at the back that's for a uh, donation. So you get a pin for $10, a t-shirt for $20, tote bag for $25. And if you donate $50, you get it all together. That's pretty exciting. I mean, what a deal. Uh, we also would love for you to just help us spread the word. Uh, hashtag vanpodfest. Money, not everyone has it, especially in this city. So... <laughs> Use your social media acumen for good. Now, I'm so excited to talk about these guys. It's a local homegrown podcast. We're so pleased for them to present like their very first ever live show, uh, their hundredth show. Co-hosts and longtime friends Mike Brown and Scott Hemingway love storytelling, and walking listeners deep into the darkest corners of true crime cases and other dark historical topics before bringing them out into the sunlight again, safe and sound. Dark Poutine's compassionate and uniquely Canadian approach keeps victims at the top of our minds and looks squarely at the impact of crime on families and their communities. Please join me in welcoming Mike Brown and Scott Hemingway. supposed to happen if I have it. I don't think I have it actually. I'm taking my off. This is well, it. First up, we should play it like I think it no, is. No, it's itchy. It's really hot. <laughs> we should do this thing, I think. very personal yeah so what was supposed to happen you were supposed to hear that <laughs> and then you're supposed to hear uh, this right here so. you've created playing right in a, a in a theater G oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to dark poutine <laughs> my head is really hot so that's gonna go uh, but we had our toques on just like we tell you folks to do we actually don't do that for every show shut up okay <laughs> don't, don't, no they'll you, you, you've broken the stereotype. Okay. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host with me as usual for our very first live show Woo-hoo! is my good friend and co-host Scott Hemingway. Hi. Say hello, Scott. Hi, everybody. Holy shit. What a mistake you've all made. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Do you, are you sure you want to be here? Jesus. 
Yeah, I, I, was, I wouldn't they're saying, oh, us. your show sold really well. And I'm thinking, what? Who did, who's buying tickets? <laughs> Oh, I thought yeah. it was just going to be Carol and, uh, and Art and Sue down here, down front, and, and maybe Wes. I knew Wes would show up. Yeah, there you are. Uh, <laughs> He's over there. Um, I'm going to lean. I'm gonna, I feel like leaning. You're going to lean? Leaning. Scott's going to lean. This seems cooler. <laughs> I was really terrified nobody would come, but you guys are here, yeah, so that's Jesus. awesome. Wow, you were wrong. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. oh. Well, Finally, I don't know. somebody. It's Joanna, though. Yeah. <laughs> you notice I didn't hear Carol say that. No. <laughs> no. She's long-suffering. Gonna drink some water. Uh, as this is a very special episode, we're going to do a bit of a retrospective followed by this week's case. So we actually do have a case that we're going to cover. Um, and we thought it was important to cover a case that maybe needs some attention. It's uh, a missing persons case. So we're going to cover that. Um, First up, though, we wanted to thank everybody. We want to thank the podcast festival for inviting us and taking a chance on us being like the headliner at this. Cr- it's crazy. That can't be. There's got to be somebody after. I us. don't know. Somebody's been There's drinking or be. yeah, something's going yeah. on. We're the openers, <laughs> right? And they've been they've been so great with us. They've been really kind and making sure we have water and things oh. like that because I get really dry when the I an- talk. anxiety makes you thirsty. Yeah, I definitely have anxiety, and I can't get that open. Anyway. <laughs> oh, well, I'll just be dry for the whole podcast. Okay, let, I'll open that for you. Buddy. Thanks, Scott. You're welcome. As well, we want to thank the folks at the Rio. I can't believe we're playing at the Rio for what the first show. <laughs> I, like, I don't, I, it's really hard to completely articulate how bizarre it is having spent our whole lives down there watching things right. or being a photographer like yeah, I just I can't fucking grasp it <laughs> uh, I'm a lot more potty mouthed in, in real oh, yeah. life so he swears too much Michael have to do a lot of editing after <laughs> fuck it, I edit it all out you ding dong uh, thanks to Chorus Entertainment Curious Cast uh, Podcast Network for taking a chance on us as well and becoming our ad partner and promoting us here in Canada. Woo! Give it up for Chorus. Take a chance. And also we wanted to say thank you to all our podcast buddies who've played our promos and given us a leg oh. up. Like my favorite murder. How the hell Holy did that shit. Yeah. Wow. Saw a marginal increase after that. A little bit. In marginal. Our downloads doubled after that. Uh, and of course... We want to thank you, the listeners, for showing up. So thank you so much. Applause for you guys. Like, our listeners seem to be the coolest, nicest people on the planet. We have two cases of Cardam's Donuts backstage. We haven't touched yet, but we will. We absolutely will. So we have to play our disclaimer, though. That's something we absolutely have to do. It has to be done. Yeah, there's the... This person that we're reasonably certain that it's not a, uh, she's not a robot, so, but we have to play it anyway, so let's just get it over with. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, Joanna Hemingway, stand up and say hello. 
She was co-host on episode 72, The Klaus Family Murders, and 74, The Julie Stanton Story, that she actually went to school with Julie Stanton, which was kind of a crazy coincidence that we ended up doing that. Right. And uh, speaking of guest hosts, we also have my wife, Carol Brown, down there. Who I want to Hosted episodes 53, Alicia Ross, A Lily Among Thorns, and 71, The Story of Samantha Walsh, and 73, The Murder of Shirley Duguay. Uh, she happens to be my wife and does a ton of behind the scenes stuff for Dark Poutine. Yeah. So, uh, and the two of these ladies are long suffering. We were just talking about that back, <laughs> yeah. backstage, yeah. like how horrible their lives have been until. They're the either really excited for us right now or really fucking bitter. <laughs> 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 One of the two, and and surprise, surprise, guys! Uh, this is the you guys are taking over the show. You're the co-hosts for the night, and we're no, I'm kidding. no, I'm no, kidding. that's not. not just, I just wanted to make them sweat a little bit. Let's get to it. Uh, dark poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised, and we're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. So it's episode 100. Like, what the? How this happened? I don't I know, no but I, I think this, this sound actually suits episode 100. Oh, I just saw my mom. Oh, and my brother. <laughs> mom oh, and behave, your everybody. Behave. Wow, that's amazing. Mama Hemingway is here. <laughs> Fuck. It's correct. <laughs> So yeah, it's our, our 100th episode, and we're so grateful that we made it this far. I've actually, I started to trick us early on by numbering the scripts with 001, because I actually wanted to try and see if we could get here. And wow, we did, man. it's amazing we, we actually made it. Yeah. Listeners, you folks currently download our episodes 100,000 times a week. Wow. Wow. And... Uh, as of this recording, we've just passed 5.5 million downloads. So, obviously, if it wasn't for you folks, we would not be here. And it's a far cry from where we started on Halloween night. Uh, <laughs> two uh, years ago. Two years ago. How many downloads did we have that night? Yeah, we had two. <laughs> we had two. Take a guess who, who those two were. It was us. And we celebrated that. We, we were did. stoked about we saw numbers. We were so happy, and we thought, yeah, Scott's mum will listen, and, uh, and, and Carol, we, Carol might. Yeah, we really, really, really honestly expected if we get 50 like a week or something, this will, that'll be great. Yeah, we didn't expect this. Our goal from the outset has been to create the most Canadian show we could. We wanted to be like as stereotypically Canadian okay. as possible, obviously, and, and I think that's translated for a lot of folks. What I did, I made a collage. <laughs> I, hate, I hate PowerPoint, but I'm using it anyway. But I made a collage of some of the most Canadian icons that I could possibly come up with. And so, uh, it, here it is. It's just... Uh, <laughs> Look at that. You see the trailer park boys. There's Gord Downey. Yeah. Mr. Dress Up is there. Yeah. The Friendly Giant, you know? Coffee so, Crisp. Coffee yeah. Crisp is there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Kim Campbell, Canada's first female prime minister there. And we Something to... that the United States has yet to do. Hey yeah, so uh, 
Hey, and, and I even put a little poppy on her. And, I made her wear it up. And we've got poutine up there, which we hand to God or whoever or whatever. Uh, we did eat poutine for dinner. That's what we had for so dinner. So we just right. wanted to make sure that's clear. <laughs> and I feel like having a nap. Yeah. Um, also up there in the corner is Viola Desmond. Uh, she was a Nova Scotian businesswoman who refused to leave a whites-only theater in 1946. She was jailed, convicted, and fined for the offense, but later challenged her conviction, making her one of the first black women in Canada to stand up against racial segregation here. So that's kind of cool. She was posthumously pardoned. But anyway, she was What, you wanted her to stay in jail? No. Posthumously? Uh, by Nova Scotia. And uh, in 2000, it, that was in 2010. And now you can see her face on a recent print of the Canadian $10 bill, which is, that's awesome. People ask us what it is about our show. Uh, how, how, why does this work? And honestly, I think it's the chemistry that we have here. We pretend to have. These, these two guys. Scott has compared us to a particular show a number of times, and uh, it's this show right here. Uh, it was, and it was in, in the context of uh, when we were trying to start up and, and just spitballing how we feel about things. And I always said, like, chemistry is the key component. Uh, yeah, you're to, losing me here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and, but we like, so Top Gear, the, I don't know who watches it or doesn't, but yeah, yeah Top Gear. Uh, the British version. Yeah. It's every people love it. They hate cars, but they still love the show. But because it's because of, the of that dynamic of those three hosts. It's so genuine and so unique and that's why people love it. They tried to make it in America and they tried to make it or maybe they still do in Australia. The ones I've watched I, I I, I'm not yeah. a fan of. But so that's why I have this slide with uh, British. British version, yes, American version, yeah. no. Not. But just because it, it, everything felt forced. It felt like they're trying to be that. So just the power of having a real, true, genuine dynamic, I think, is, it, it plays a huge role in our success. So let's get to our retrospective. Let's look back Ew. at the history of Dark back, 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 Just a little back, bit. Back, 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 just a little bit. So we started off with the mystery of the floating feet, you know, so uh, the mystery of the floating feet. But don't you want to just tickle them? I wonder if anybody did that with the floating feet. I don't know, but um, obviously I didn't use the feet that would wash up on the beach because we don't want people running for the exits and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of creepy. But episode one was only 23 minutes long, and at the time I felt like we just had to get our first episode out there, good or bad. I wanted to rip the Band-Aid off, so let's just get this done. Uh, for me, doing anything new is like going into a cold swimming pool. It's best just to get it over with, just yeah, jump in. True. Uh, uh, and sometimes you jump right back out again, but at least you've done it. So uh, you can kind of hear the dark poutine magic happening, though, yeah, yeah. in that first episode. And uh, here's a clip I pulled of Scott responding to my story about uh, a lower leg found in a garbage bag uh, near Seattle. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know if you want to hear this, but... I don't typically go boating or swimming in a garbage bag. Typically. Just one of your legs in a garbage bag. <laughs> well, no, when I have done it, I, I individually wrap each limb. Oh, yeah. oh that's nice. It's a look. It is. Interesting. Yeah. Don't you find it's a little sweaty? I find it a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, so... 
kind of funny. That was episode one, you know? So it was, it was already happening. That's when I peaked. Yeah, you peaked. <laughs> that Scott was my shining moment. It's amazing. All right, see you, everybody. And uh, people asked us what our favorite episode was. Mm. And uh, Scott and I kind of both have the same yeah. favorite episode. And it is this one. The story of Elisa Lamb. Yeah. And I talked about it a little today at the master class that I held, and I didn't see this many people there. But You uh, did great, though. You did great. <laughs> okay, well, Scott was there. But it was uh, one of those episodes we've heard covered on a lot of other shows, and we wanted to approach it from a really different perspective. We feel that Elisa Lamb has been dehumanized in a lot of other po- podcasts yeah. and forgotten as a person. And we wanted to ensure that when we closed that show, people knew Elisa Lamb a bit more as a person. And I think we did a pretty darn good Yeah, it's a story that's so easy to get caught up in the sensational side of it and the supernatural side of it. And that's where it all seems to go. But yeah, people forget about who she was and who she is. And so I was really proud of how you wrote it and how you researched it and wrote it. And it really, like... Yeah, I, I'm proud that we were able to cover yeah. it in a way which is, it's about her and mental illness, not about uh, some ghost or, or thing. Russians. There's no after. No. No. Um, well, so, uh, on many occasions, we've talked about weird connections to different things. Like, it's like Scott and I are kind of proving that Canada is the smallest town <laughs> as far as the country goes. <laughs> like, uh, I, uh, Scott hung out, Scott and Jim actually hung yeah, out Jimmy, with, you, Jim. with Terry yeah. Driver, who That's was the right. Abbotsford killer, and they watched uh, Fast Times at Richmond High. And Halloween 3. Halloween and 3. I remember that watching those two movies with him. Yeah, yeah. and later on this it's guy goes, to be, goes on to be like a heinous creep. Yeah. Um, and I've known p- people in places in Nova Scotia, our Nova Scotia-centered episodes, like Life with Billy. Uh, and one of our friends actually uh, was... Uh, her her aunt was married to Billy before Jane Stafford, which is kind of crazy. So, are you here? You might be here. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, Kimberly McAndrew and Carissa Boudreaux, the case that, that happened in the neighborhood that I grew up in, that was uh, kind of crazy. Um, I'm gonna give everybody some mouth noises. What? <laughs> So how many people here are in the Umber Yard? Let's hear the Umber Yard. Oh. So uh, some folks asked, where, where the heck did the Umber Yard come from? Where does oh, that, yeah. where, where is that from? And well, it's from episode 12, the Moncton Mountie murders. I remember it well because Scott was editing at the time <laughs> and he left my flub in. Which I'm kind of grateful for. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, we were talking about uh, where the perpetrator in that case had worked, and I mispronounced one of the places. And here's a clip of that nonsense. <laughs> he worked at a bunch of menial labor jobs at a grocery store, warehouses, and a local lumberyard. Lumberyard. <laughs> I like to work at a lumberyard. <laughs> a lumberyard. <laughs> Sounds like something your daughter Bibby would say. <laughs> You work at the Yumber Yard. <laughs> Sounds like a blast. Yeah. Stacking all your Yumber. So I can always count on Scott to have my back for uh, things like that. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like Mushmouth. I spent $15,000 on acting school, so it's really gone great that uh, I can't say the word lumber. Hey, I just did. Whoa. <laughs> 
Wow. Progress. Mate. I didn't have to say yard after it, though, so <laughs> that's probably did. why. We asked folks in the Yelmer Yard what some of their favorite episodes were, and uh, folks really seem to like our Halloween episodes, our Christmas episodes, um, but a lot of people will choose one that is close to their own home, mm-hmm. So, which makes sense. You know, Canadians want to hear, let's hear about the small places in Canada rather than a place in America that we're always hearing about every, yes, every yes. other time we have to listen, but um, yeah. Um, I always wanted to hear about Bridgewater in the news, but I never did. Nothing good, anyway. But there was one real fan standout, and that was this one, the Halifax explosion. Yeah, it caught me off guard, actually. Yeah, I was a little surprised that so many people liked it. Um, there people, was people love explosions. I guess so. <laughs> clear. Two thousand people died. That's I, don't. <laughs> Why you gotta be a dick? <laughs> He plays right into my hands every day. <laughs> uh, that was obviously episode four. In Halifax Harbor on December 6, 1917, the Norwegian vessel SS Imo collided with the SS Mount Blanc, a cargo ship laden with high explosive ammunition on its way to the front during World War I. The ensuing blast, it was the largest man-made explosion up until Hiroshima in World War II. And it leveled parts of the city, injured 9,000, killed 2,000 people. And one of the favorite moments that people have um, as far as this episode is really this moment right here that I'm going to play. The rowboats reached the Dartmouth shore 10 minutes after leaving the Mont Blanc near a Mi'kmaq settlement. They left the boats unsecured and sprinted for the woods. One of the residents, Aggie March, who had her baby in her arms, stood watching the commotion. As one sailor sprinted past, he grabbed the baby and continued running. He knew she would chase him, thus saving her life. They didn't stop to warn or save anyone else. Little dark. (laughs) Little dark, but people really liked the fact that some guy just grabbed the baby and ran. Yeah, well, like in usual context, that's not going to go over well. No. No, like typically if somebody runs by and grabs your baby, you're like, well, and she chased him. And that was the thing. Like, he grabbed her baby so she wouldn't stand there and watch the fire and would chase him into the woods where they were all safe, which is, that's pretty cool. And that happened. I kind of hope that's a real story and not a bunch of baloney. It's in a bunch of books. We're best to not question it. It's in books. (laughs) (laughs) So another episode that people have given me personally a lot of feedback is episode 10. It was called Mike Met a Monster in 1981. And uh, I waffled whether or not I wanted to talk about this here. I didn't make a slide for it because I don't want to make I don't want to make a slide about some guy trying to touch me. Yeah, you know. But uh, yeah, well, it's okay if you do. Okay. I give consent for you to touch me. But you know what? All the feedback that I've gotten from people, and this is the reason why I want it in the retrospective, is that. I got so many kind comments from people over the last year and a bit since I've done that episode. Uh, People who were understanding and kind and empathetic. Some people shared their own stories that they weren't capable of sharing with somebody else they chose me to share it with. Like, holy crap. And um, I was inspired to do it by FBI profiler Jim Clementi, who I heard share about his story on a podcast um, a year before 
And I got to thank him at CrimeCon last year for that. But one of the proudest things that I think have come out of this is one of our listeners emailed me and she said she finally went to the police and Mm. outed her attacker. And that case is, I guess, before the courts. So, yes. So that made that definitely worthwhile for us to do. Mission accomplished, right? Enough of that. Let's move on. Wow, it's like, it's like we planned this, and it's like almost right on a half hour. How did that happen? Is it really? It's, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Let's make it like three hours. No. Yeah. yeah. No, we're, we, we, it's can't, we can't do that to the podcast festival. Six hours, six hours. <laughs> so this is where typically a break would go. So this is where the ads go, right there, right at we're this moment like, right now, right we're now. in a break. We're actually, you won't hear this probably in the actual show. These ads paid for Mike's sweater. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Yeah, show yeah. it off. Sam Squanch. Sam Squanch. Uh, that Jaws t-shirt's a little shout out to Gord Downey. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very sad about that. Oh, look, we're back from our break, Scott. That's amazing. Uh, how how did feel? that happen? I feel, I feel great. Yeah, good, good, good. And so now it's time to get to our actual case. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and it's one from here in British Columbia. I had to think about what I wanted to do case-wise, and I thought, you know, we've, what should we do with our time up here? We could have done, like, an easy history case. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we could have had some giggles and all that kind of stuff, or we could actually maybe help somebody. So we chose to help somebody. So this is the disappearance of Madison Scott. This is her photo, by the way. She took that photo photo. of herself. Um, Madison disappeared on May 28, 2011, from Hogsback Lake, near Vanderhoof, British Columbia. Madison, or Maddie, Geraldine Scott was born on April 29, 1991 to Don and Eldon Scott. Madison has an older brother named Ben and a younger sister named Georgia. And prior to her disappearance, Madison Scott lived most of her life in Vanderhoof. That's off Highway 16, and it's a municipality of about 4,500 people near the exact center of BC, along the winding banks of the Nechaco River, almost 100 kilometers east of Prince George. And so there, that's what Vanderhoof looks like. From Vanderhoof.ca, Vanderhoof is geographically located near the center of British Columbia and truly is at the heart of it all when it comes to lifestyle, low cost of living, and employment opportunities. The community's size, services, and amenities are well suited for entrepreneurs and those involved in resource or agricultural sectors. We've driven through Vanderhoof, Carol and I, on our way to see our friends, another Art, and uh, and his wife Joanne, another Joanne. Whoa, whoa! It almost went flying. That would have been bad because I carried away there. But unlike a lot of BC, it's really flat. I was just kind of amazed by how flat it is in Vanderhoof. Have you ever been there? I have not. There, you probably won't go either. Uh, (laughs) That's that's just insulting. I don't know why. Why wouldn't I? Madison is said to love life. She's known for her witty sense of humor, her smile, loves to be active. She's creative, well-liked, and independent. 
Among her favorite things to do are swimming and other water-related activities, dirt biking, photography, and hanging out with her friends. She played hockey and rugby in high school. She rode horses and loves the outdoors and camping. Although Madison is a very smart girl, the academic parts of school were dry and tedious to her, like a lot of us. Preach. Yeah. She was more into being social and creative than completing math homework. She loved her visual arts class. She and her friends used to make home movies. Madison was always in the thick of the creative process. She made friends easily. She's awesome. Yeah, she's like a really rough and tumble person. Her brother said she was as comfortable in a dress as she was riding a, a motorbike. Or, I can relate. Or, yeah, and she was a, a heavy-duty mechanic. Whoa. Yeah. So, I'm a light-duty mechanic. Yeah. So after a few other jobs, Maddie finally landed uh, a job at MBG Logging in Vanderhoof, where she became an apprentice heavy-duty mechanic. And one of her friends, Jordan, or Jordy Balduke, who Maddie had met in 2007 uh, during Jordy's first year in Vanderhoof at Nechaco Valley Secondary School on Butte Avenue in Vanderhoof, in case you Ooh, need to know where the school is. I did. I did. Madison and Jordy decided to attend their friend Garrett's birthday party on Friday, May 27th. The event, listed on Facebook as Fro's Birthday, was to take place at Hogsback Lake Recreational Area, about 24 kilometers southeast of Vanderhoof. And the time of the event was 8 until 11 p.m. The rest of the details simply say BYOB, everyone welcome. And the girls decided they camped there in Madison's tent because they planned on drinking and didn't want to drive home drunk. Responsible, Responsible. person. Yeah. yeah. So there's the road to Hogsback Lake from Vanderhoof, just about 22 minutes, just down one single highway. Also flat. Also very flat. Uh, Madison and Jordy tossed the Scott family's camping gear into Maddie's white 1994 pickup. It was an F-150. And they drove the 22 minutes or so, arriving at about 8 p.m., and there were a few people already there. So they went to set up their tent. Oh. Of course, yeah, let's set yeah. up the tent. So get that done before we get too drunk to do it. Again, we're Makes sense. Yeah. It was too small for two grown women, they realized. It was just a pup tent. So they thought, oh, okay, there's another tent here. They dragged it out and realized they didn't have the poles. So they had to drive all the way back to Madison's house in Vanderhoof. So back up the 22-minute drive. And Dawn Scott recalls the last thing she said to her daughter between 9 and 9.30 that night. Have fun. Be safe. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Love you. Maddie and Jordy returned to Hogsback Lake and set up the tent. They quickly gathered firewood as more cars and more people began to arrive to help celebrate Garrett's birthday and blow off some steam after a work week, of course. Mm -hmm. This is Madison's tattoo. She has the tattoo of a bird silhouette inside her left wrist. According to the timeline of events on madisonscott.ca, it appears there were around 46 people at the party on Friday night, mostly between 18 and 25, and a few older partiers up to 40 years old. Almost all are from the Vanderhoof area. And in Stephen Scholar's documentary, The Vanishing of Madison Scott, Jordy says that she got, this is her friend, got super drunk, and at some point, people who were not friends came to the party and were acting rowdy. So things got a little tense. Yep. There was a young man at the party uh, for a while that night who Maddie had been interested in for some time. He 
told her that he just wanted to be friends. And according to an email from Don Scott, Madison's mother, in a video on YouTube by John Lorden of Lorden Arts, Maddie was, quote, upset, but nothing drastic. Another young man was there, interested in Maddie, but when she rebuffed him, he was, quote, huffy about the rejection in private with a few friends, but nothing overly troubling to anybody. He just didn't like being rejected. Police have questioned him extensively about this, and Don's email to John Lorden said he'd been, quote, put through the ringer. So, right now, what do you think? What are you thinking? Like... I'm thinking there's a, a, a handful of suspects. Right. At a, exactly. Yeah. But apparently the, all these people have been looked at very carefully. The presence of these two young men could be the reason why Maddie spent most of the evening in her tent away from the main party, retiring at around 10 p.m. So everybody else is partying and she's inside her tent. Maddie hung out there and texted her mother between 11 and 12.30 and from uh, one entry... Maddie and Don were texting at about 11.30 on Friday, May 27, 2011, and the last activity on her phone was 12.30 a.m. on Saturday, May 28th, and when, according to Don, there was an incoming call from a guy we know, so there's someone else, right? Mm -hmm. Cell phone records were retrieved by the RCMP, including tower pings, and they had, quote, everything they needed. There was no record of any incoming cell activity after that. Mm. Uh, this caller was also investigated by the RCMP, apparently, and there's another photo of Madison, another couple. Jordy, however, made a connection with a young man that night named Tyler, and the two would become a couple from that night forward for some time. A fight broke out, and Jordy fell into the fire, slightly injuring her knee. Damn. Tyler had to carry Jordy back to his truck, and Jordy was upset and done with the party and wanted to leave with Tyler, so others were leaving too at the time. Mm -hmm. Jordy hobbled back to Madison's tent and tried to convince Madison to leave with her and Tyler, but Madison said she was already in bed and refused to leave. Jordy said in CBS's 48 Hours, she's like, really, you're going? And I was like, yeah, I'm going. And she's kind of begged me, and I was like, well, you can come with us. And she said, no, she just wanted to stay there with her tent so it would be safe. She wanted to protect her stuff. Jordy said in Schuller's documentary, The Vanishing of Madison Scott, that there were about five people still there when she and Tyler left the party, which was at approximately 1.40 a.m. But so you think that'd be narrowing it down to five right? suspects left? But the last group to go around 3 a.m. was comprised of some folks who'd come out later after an evening shift, and they were sober. They were still sober. Mm. They just came out to say hello to Garrett yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And... According to an email Don Scott sent again to Lord and Arts, the final group asked Maddie if she wanted to ride with them, but she said no as she was in bed and didn't want to leave her belongings. Maddie would not want to be out there on her own. Someone else must have been there. Eesh. But who? I guess if we could answer that question, we might be able to find out where Madison is. No one from that final group saw anyone left at the recreation center where Madison was. And somewhere between 3 a.m. and 8.30 a.m., a five-and-a-half-hour window, Madison Scott went missing and has not been seen since. At around 8.30 a.m., Jordy and Tyler returned to Hogs Back Lake to retrieve Jordy's clothing uh, and her sleeping bag. Madison's cell phone had stopped pinging 
just a half hour before at 8 a.m. Okay. Maddie's truck and her tent were still at the recreation site, right where Jody had last seen them near the lake. And in CBS's 48 hours, the tent door was open, Jordy said, and the blankets and everything were pushed aside. Jordy checked around a bit, but there was no sign of Maddie anywhere. Uh, Jordy picked up her stuff and left with Tyler. She just assumed maybe she'd met somebody or taken off. Jordy has gotten a lot, a big big hard time from people for leaving her friend at Hogsback Lake. A lot of people online will say, why did somebody leave somebody there? Well, you don't expect or plan for these kind of things to happen. That's right. You don't think in a small town like Vanderhoof, of yeah. 4,500 people, yeah. that someone is going to go missing if you leave them alone. Yeah, absolutely. At around 10 a.m. that morning, Garrett, the birthday boy, returned to the site to clean up the remnants of the party. He'd done that every year, and uh, he partied there. I think he was 25 that year, and they said he had a birthday party there every year that he was old enough to drink. Mm. He saw no sign of Maddie either, and he left after cleaning up the site, and what you see on the screen is what he left seeing. On Saturday night, there was an even larger party at the recreational area. Maddie's sister, Georgia, saw Madison's tent and truck when she went to the second party at Hogsback Lake after Maddie's disappearance, but she didn't see her sister anywhere. She also didn't mention being at the party until later because she was underage and she was afraid she'd get into trouble. I mean, you're not going to tell mom and dad if you're out drinking until you find out your sister's gone missing. Then you kind of have to own up to it. During the second party, a 17-year-old male flattened the empty tent. RCMP later interviewed him and determined he was unconnected to Maddie's disappearance. There's been much to do made about this online as well, but I don't think that... Well, it does leave questions. Why would you just come and disassemble? Well, when I was drunk, I was known to do a lot of dumb things, and I probably... I can recall... You still do sober. Well, not stuff like that, but I I recall times where I would have totally done something like that. I was not exactly the most responsible drinker. (laughs) That's an understatement, by the way. I heard Carol giggle. (laughs) On Sunday morning... Eldon, Maddie's father, and Dawn, her mom, were concerned that they were unable to get in touch with her. They'd been trying a couple of times over the past day, but no dice. And so what they decided they'd do is drive out to Hogsback and see if she was still there. And they fully expected to see her Mm. sitting there, Mm. but they didn't. All they saw was her truck at Hogsback. They looked around all through the woods. They didn't find their daughter. Police were called and attended soon after. Upon searching Madison's truck, her purse and other valuables, including expensive motorcycle gear and a DSLR camera were also left in the truck. Some of Madison's jewelry was found outside the door of her flattened tent. Madison's mother later stated she did not believe the jewelry being left behind was of any significance. Interesting, okay. Don't read into it. But there were two things missing. Madison's brand new iPhone 4 was nowhere to be found. Okay. So she's left behind her purse. She's left behind everything else. Her iPhone 4 is not there, nor are the keys to her truck. Interesting. Interesting. Being that the truck is there. Yeah. 
Uh, Jordy came later on that day when she heard that Madison was missing and spoke to police. When Madison's parents finally got home, they began calling everybody they'd known who might have seen Madison, like, okay, let's talk to family, workmates, friends. No one had seen any sign of Madison since the last folks who'd left the party at Hogs Back in the wee hours of May 28th. This is the inside of her truck. It's just something very eerie about seeing. Yeah. So I did actually get the crime scene photos, which is actually kind of interesting. It was easy to find, but mm -hmm. uh, I thought it would make a compelling it's just Yeah, seeing something left behind by somebody yeah. who's missing. Uh, yeah, I don't know, just... Over the next month, as searchers scoured the area for Madison, everyone who had been at the parties on Friday and Saturday at Hogsback were spoken to multiple times by police. They were all cooperative, and many were polygraphed. So anybody who the police even suspected was polygraphed. And here's a picture of some of the searchers. Initially, and over the years, RCMP and the Chaco Valley Search and Rescue and other volunteers searched by way of air using helicopters covering the land and multiple grid searches and dense brush, sometimes in the same place more than once with dogs. And they covered lots of ground, searching a massive area, including logging roads and abandoned cabins and other long forgotten sites. So there's a lot of stuff in the woods near there and it's a big area. Hogsback Lake was searched. It's 22 feet at its deepest and they thoroughly searched it using sonar and other equipment. Posters of Madison Scott and details of her disappearance have been plastered all over the place. Uh, Madison's friends couldn't believe it. She was a responsible girl. Nobody could believe that she would run away. Mm -hmm. So something happened to her. The speculation started soon after Madison's disappearance that on her own, but these were people who didn't know her. Yeah. But there have been no new leads in her case. The police, all those searches found Nothing. She has just disappeared into the ether. Whew. Yeah. When you're Googling this case, you'll find that there were rumors and media articles falsely reporting that a local man, his name was Frib John Bjornsson. I had to actually say that a bunch of times. <laughs> Good uh, job. He'd been on a baseball team with Madison, and um, they were kind of, they were acquaintances. Madison and Frib John's family wanted to state that for sure he was not involved in her disappearance. But sadly, in 2012, near Fort St. James, Frib John was found murdered. Oh, wow. Right. Four people were later charged in relation to this slaying. Again, the police say these two cases are not linked. Really? At all. Yeah. Okay. They just say it's a small town. I don't know. Uh, okay. Yeah. Madison's parents, in particular her mom, uh, they remain the biggest advocates in the efforts to find Madison Scott and bring her home. Uh, according to Stephen Scholar's documentary, The Vanishing of Madison Scott, her parents set up their own investigative board in their basement. So you'll see, like, in movies, that kind of stuff, yeah. and they've got... You know, all kinds of pins in the board and pictures yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I know I've said it a million times on the show, but I, yeah. I can't imagine that fear and terror of your child being missing. Yeah. Like, I, I can't think of many things worse, if anything. No. Like, that's just... That scares the shit out of me. So, along the same corridor 
as many other disappearances, her parents are adamant that Madison's vanishing not be lumped into the Highway of Tears cases. Mm as many media outlets have done. CBS did it in one of their documentaries, and I believe that Madison Scott's parents weren't pleased with that. Madison doesn't fit the profile of the cases involved in the EPANA investigation, and EPANA is the official name for the Highway of Tears task force. Madison is not on that list. Maybe the RCMP knows something that they're not sharing with us. Who knows? Which is we know personally that uh, can often be the case. Yeah. So as of this recording, Madison Scott has been missing for 3,088 days. That's eight years, five months, and 13 days. Someone has to know something about what happened to Madison Scott. Here is a clip of Madison's mother uh, from a YouTube video. Somebody knows something, and we need them to come forward. Somebody knows something about Maddie, and we need to find her and we're not going to stop until we do. And it's just, it's past the time. It needs to happen. This is eight years this woman has gone without seeing her daughter, not knowing what's happened to her. While we close the show, because that's it for this uh, part of the show, we want to say, again, Madison was 20 years old when she went missing from Hogsback Lake in BC in May 28, 2011. At the time of her disappearance, she had shoulder-length ginger hair, hazel eyes, she stands five feet four inches tall, and weighed approximately 160 pounds. She has pierced ears and a left nostril ring. Madison has that bird silhouette tattooed on the inside of her left wrist. And her disappearance may be the result of foul play. There's a reward of up to $100,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for her disappearance. Now, notice that doesn't say for bringing her home. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. You know. So we'll leave this final slide up as we close the show. We don't want to do any Patreon shoutouts this week for obvious reasons, but, like, let's... Holy crap. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's I've I've watched the forty eight hours yeah. uh, story on this, and so I was a bit familiar with it. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it, right. missing persons cases. They just they're the. I'm glad we don't do too many, just because uh, they bother me. I like having finality. Mm-hmm. I like at least knowing what happened. And so to think that there are parents, and uh, there are so many out there who are just struggling, not knowing where their children are or children not knowing where their parent like it's just that it kills me it tears my heart out so let's talk about something more fun oh oh please <laughs> thank you okay are we going to talk about penguins we're going to talk about penguins they're Scott. fun that's not in the script we're not talking about penguins are we <gasps> we can if you like please they're you, not Canadian. They're Antarctic. But do you like penguins? I love penguins. Yeah, they there smell we go. Funny. The consensus is penguins are great. Penguins are great. Carry on. Um, <laughs> so I have a bit of an announcement that's uh, that blows me away. You're pregnant. Uh, I am going to be. What's that? You're pregnant. I'm a little fat, so that's kind of not funny. <laughs> it's a matter of perspective. <laughs> uh, No, uh, a few months ago, somebody reached out to me Uh and had an offer for me. And and I was thinking, you are telling me lies. (laughs) 
this person claimed that she was an editor for a, a, a local, well, a, a nationally known national yes uh, book publishing company, and she was telling me that they want me to write a book. Is it Playboy? No, it's not Playboy. <laughs> So I will be writing uh, an 80,000-word for HarperCollins Canada. Woo! Why didn't they ask me? I, I know it for my, my I book. I might actually get you to learnings. write the introduction. What's I, it would be, sure. make sense. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, so it's going to be 25 true crime stories from all over North America, Woo! presented by Dark Poutine. Like, holy crap. They approached me about making a YouTube video. I really did say, did like, not. she called me, and I was saying yeah. that she was not telling me the truth. I was... She I had to send you an, uh, an email yeah, with she official had to send letterhead me. and stuff for you to buy it. Yeah, I had to read the email address, HarperCollins Canada, before I yeah. actually believed that she wanted me to... Yeah. So, yeah, we've been in, in negotiation for a few months, and, uh, yeah, that's my big news. I'm gonna Woo! I'm so proud of you. I am so proud of you. Oh. And uh, I didn't bring a copy of it. I meant to. So um, another editor, her name is Mitzi Zarito, mm -hmm. put out a book. Did she? Yes, she did. And what, what could be in this book? Oh, wh well, what's in that book is actually my... Um, what are you pulling out of there? Uh, what am I pulling out of there? You got a pocket. It's actually the name of the book. Is oh, what I'm oh, oh. Pulling out of here. So I've got a picture of Scott eating poutine that I'll show you guys. Oh, later. that was fun. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so the best new true crime story, Serial Killers by Mitzi Zarito, is in mm -hmm. stores now, and yep. you can get it on Amazon. And what and, did you cover in there? What and was I covered the Clifford Olson case. In a there. very important one. Yes. Yeah. So I'm a published author already. How about that? <laughs> I, I feel like I'm collaterally published. Like sure. I'm, I'm, I'll take the collateral. Uh, yeah. <laughs> booking. Is that what they call it? No. Or is it reading? I don't know. No, they definitely I don't. don't. Know. Anyway. <sighs> You're a twit. <laughs> That's why I love you. I I have no counter argument. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. So, if you want to help support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. Uh, for a one-time support, you can send us some donut money via PayPal at darkpoutinepodcast.gmail.com. And if you don't already, it would mean a lot to us if you subscribe to the show. You can easily find us on iTunes Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Check out darkpoutine.com for show notes and other stuff, like maybe buy some swag or something. You guys can also... He's got a shirt here. on. Yeah, we've it's got, covered up. Oh, yeah, this guy has got dark poutine right but here. But please give us a follow on, or a like, on Facebook. Yeah. Look at that physique. That amazing physique. Yeah. And if you guys want as well, I mean, I know we got Patreon and stuff, but you could just come up and throw money on the stage. We'll dance. We'll We're dance. still waiting for that $50,000 yeah, Patreon. Somebody, come on. Yeah, we want to do uh, like, an episode on a bearskin bear rug in yeah. somebody's, yeah. It's, it's legit awful. It's probably we'll not politically correct to do it on a bearskin rug now. It could be a full bear. It would have to be faux fur. Yeah, it could be a yeah. full bear. Exactly. Mike, look at all these people. Most importantly... <laughs> 
tell your friends about us. We know a lot of you have, and thank you very much. Uh, thanks for coming out to support us at our very first live show. This has been awesome. Right? And uh, I, guess, I guess that's it. Well, we'll just keep talking. Well, no, we can't. Yeah, I mean, because we told them that we would stop at 10. Yes, room. It's not even 10 yet. Uh, <laughs> what my, time is it? Hi, Mom. We got like five minutes. Hi, Mom. Well, there hi, you hi, go. Yeah. Uh, hi, everybody. And, and hi. Seriously, I, I'm blown away uh, how many people are here. Uh, yes. Correct. Right? Yes. You were as well. There uh, you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've got, there's a lot of people who are new to us, we don't know, and then there's some friends I know, I've got my... So, we're going to hang, they're going to bring the house lights up when we're done, and we're going to hang out down here, and you guys who want to meet us can come meet us and shake our hands, and, uh, and we're not going to go anywhere, because like I said, one, we wouldn't be here without you folks. One, one of my uh, very close friends, who I've talked about a lot, I've, we went to Australia with him, Martin Nakaranziza. Nakaranziza! Uh, <laughs> He used to be my boss. Yeah, he was my boss. He's here. Uh, he's newly divorced. Yeah. And uh, looking for love. He's he's ready to do it again. So he's a handsome fella. He's and handsome. I, I don't man. mind saying he's a very handsome. Intolerable. To, intolerable. He's very tolerable. Yeah. No, 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 intolerable. Oh. No, I didn't say tolerable. Oh, I can't. Good God, no, no. So I'm just saying, Martin, if you want to just. Afterwards, yeah, stand at the corner. Yeah. <laughs> he probably or, has cards to hang out. <laughs> but anyway, that's it. Whew, shit, we did it. We did it. Good God. <laughs> but I kind of would love it if you guys would close the show for us and say what I usually say. Do you guys know what I usually say? What do I usually say? No, that's the beginning. <laughs> oh, yeah. What I, what I say is don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. So on the count of three, I'll say it again. Don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. And I need, I need to take a selfie. Scott's going to take a selfie with Oh, everybody's so dark. Can we turn the lights on up, out there? Is it possible? No, they won't no? see us. They won't? Well, I'm taking the... Right, Mike, get your head... Yay! Okay, oh. Mike, get in the photo. Okay, here we go. Yay! Okay. All right. So, yeah, on the count of three, let's say it. Don't forget to be a good egg, not a bad apple. One, two, three. I like dolphins. Woo! Thanks for Wow! Bye-bye! Look at you all. Look at that. That's amazing. Oh, my God. Oh, we got to do this.